Good morning. Uh, it is uh, it is an honor and a privilege to be here. Anytime uh, this is like a this is behind the scenes, right? Uh, for pastors, anytime somebody asks you to come fill the pulpit for them, uh, that's an honor because this is Rick's pulpit, and uh, Rick does a fantastic job. I know that uh, you are all like me. You would rather hear Rick preach this morning, so. <laughs> I'm sorry you're stuck with me. Um, Rick is, hey, Rick, Jen had a good idea, though. So your, your vacation, quote, unquote, uh, like you need to have like a world tour T-shirt made up. And like we would buy that. The Calvary Chapel, Rick's world tour, man, that'd be awesome. Uh, if, you are, uh, if you are a visitor here, um, you know, isn't that the way it goes? I'm not going to ask you to stand up, but it, you know, if you're a visitor, like, I, it's, always, it's always rough when you show up at a church and your friends or family or whoever has said, hey, you got to come to my church and hear my pastor, and then it's always the day that you come to visit, <laughs> and it's like the missionary from Zimbabwe or something, <laughs> you know? And so you get me. And I'm sorry, but so uh, one of the things that we do at Calvary Chapel here, one of the, uh, as we, uh, this is, we, we preach through the, the Bible, uh, book by book and verse by verse. And uh, we're going to continue that while Rick's gone. And we're, we're going through the book of 1 Peter. Uh, here in a minute, we will all stand together and uh, I will read the scripture for today. And then afterwards, we have this opportunity where we greet the neighbors around us and we say hi and we chat a little bit. If you're one of the visitors here and you don't want to hear me preach for the next hour, feel free to scoot out the back. <laughs> Nobody is going to say anything, okay? And I certainly wouldn't blame you. So... Having said that, if you would stand with me, if anybody needs a Bible, uh, uh, the guys have got Bibles. Um, we're reading from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 to 7. Anybody need a Bible? Anyone? All right. So Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, good, Father God, uh, as we just sang, uh, we honor you because you are our king. Thank you that you have brought us together today. Thank you for your word. 
Thank you for the Holy Spirit that uses us to massage our souls, to conform us to the image of Christ. Thank you for our Savior. I ask that you would be with me even as we look at your word, be with the the words that come out of my mouth. May they not be anything from me, but all from you. I ask that the Spirit would uh, get me out of the way and speak into the lives of all of us that we might be shaped and molded into the men and women that you want us to be. Be with us now, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you would, take a minute and greet your neighbor. Scoot out the back. All right. So if you've been, uh, been with us for a while, uh, you know that Peter is, uh, has sent out this letter. Uh, first and second Peter were written by Peter, uh, obviously. Uh, and it was, he was sent it out to a, a mixed group of Christians uh, scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, and he's been exhorting them uh, in the midst of this culture that they were living in, this cu- culture that was hostile uh, to them. He's been exhorting them to stand firm in the face of persecution and hard times. And last week, as we looked at verses 9 and 10, Peter tells these people, hey, hey, you aren't alone and you're not without purpose. You come from all of these different places and all of these different people groups, but God has chosen you out of the world to be his people to be his family, and then to represent him to your neighbors and to the world around you. And that's in a culture that was hostile, that was, uh, didn't understand what these people were about. I think we all know, because we've all experienced it, uh, what it feels like to be an outsider from time to time, you know, uh, to feel like you're not part of the group. In, in today's passage, that's the kind of people that Peter's talking to. I uh, seem to have lost my place. Oh, there it is. Sorry. So, uh, one thing you do need to know, uh, this is the first time that I have ever preached two services in a row. So, if, uh, if I fall asleep halfway through, Chris, just come up, give me a, give me a, a all, right. all right. So, so Peter tells these people, look, hey, you aren't alone in this world. I know what it feels like to, to, to be an outsider, but you're not alone. So I, I heard this story about this kid and a uh, young, young boy, uh, probably fictional, um, but uh, I'll share it nonetheless. Uh, young, young elementary, fifth grade. Uh, his family moves to a new place, and so he, he's a new kid in the school, right? Uh, and after a couple of weeks, uh, there is, there's a rainy day. And so they don't go outside for recess. They have recess inside. And so this little boy, new to the class, goes up to this little group of kids, and he says, hey, 
that game that you're playing looks like fun. Can I, can I join in? And they say, no, go away. So, okay. So he goes to the next group of kids and he's like, oh, Legos. I love Legos. Can I play with you and your Legos? And they say, no, go away. He goes to group after group and kid after after he's gone to all of the kids in the classroom and he's re been rejected by them all. He goes back in the back of the, and he sits down in his desk and he just starts to cry. And uh, the teacher had been out of the classroom. She probably was overcome by the fumes or you know, the noise level or whatever it was. But so she comes back into the classroom. And as she comes back into the classroom, this one little boy at the front of the class, very helpful, reaches into the compassion of his little elementary boy soul. And he says, Wayne's crying. That was me. It's not a fictional story. I was the new kid. I know what it feels like to feel like the outsider. Do you, you know that, that feeling? In today's passage, Peter's talking to people who are outsiders. And he is going to address how is it that we are supposed to behave in a, a culture that we don't fit into in a culture that doesn't understand us and in many cases does not like us. It's a terrible feeling. But Peter starts with one amazing word. He says, beloved. It's probably obvious to you that beloved is how Peter felt about these people. Sojourners and exiles, he calls them. Maybe your translation says aliens and strangers. Some of them may, be in, may have been people that he had met in his travels. Uh, some of them were people that he had probably heard of from friends. Some of them were just complete strangers, but all of them were brothers and sisters in Christ. And he knew the trials that they were going through. And his heart went out to them. There is something comforting when you are in the midst of trials, when somebody out there reaches out to you and says, hey, I know what's going on. I'm praying for you. I care about you. There's something comforting in knowing that somebody knows and cares about your trials. And it doesn't remove the pain or the stress but it does add a sense of strength and unity, doesn't it? Uh, from, from my story back then, uh, the teacher actually, her name was Mrs. Maxie, Pat Maxie. She was a friend of my mom's from college. So she knew me and she had a, part, a particular interest in me. So when she came in and she saw that I was struggling, she hugged me. And she cared for me. And from then on, I knew that I had somebody in my corner, a personal contact that gave me a sense of confidence and security that I didn't have before. 
And so when Peter is talking to these people, he says, you are my beloved. Kind of the way a, a father would towards their children or maybe a teacher towards their students. But there is actually a far more as, uh, important aspect that we can see in this word beloved. One of the most important and over, overarching themes in the New Testament when it comes to our salvation is that we are united in Christ. In fact, if you go through your New Testament and you start reading all the times it says in him, in Christ, in Jesus, if you were to take a highlighter and start marking those in your Bible, you just ruin your Bible. You'd just be soaked with highlighter ink. It's so prevalent. This picture of being in Christ, one of the, the images that I have in my mind is, you know that little grain of sand that gets lodged into a, an oyster? And over time, that sand gets coated with pearl material and coats after layer after layer of coat until that grain of sand is completely identified as the pearl, that beautiful pearl. The sand is still there, but, the, but it is hidden completely in, in the pearl and completely identified as a pearl. We are beloved because we are in Christ, and ultimately, Christ is the beloved. In fact, the first time that we see the word beloved in the New Testament is uh, in, in Matthew chapter 3. Remember the scene where uh, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist? And as he comes up out of the water, what happens? God speaks from heaven. And he says, behold, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Later on in chapter 17, when Christ is transfigured before three of his disciples, God speaks again from heaven and he says, behold, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so when you see the term beloved in the New Testament, what you need to focus on is the fact that we all, all Christians for all time, everywhere, are fully and completely identified with Christ. We are in Him. And therefore, because of that unity, because He is the beloved one, we are also beloved. Well, as, as beloved sojourners and exiles spread out uh, from, away from home with Christ and living in a fallen world filled with fallen people, uh, Peter identifies three areas of struggle, uh, three areas of potential conflict that we need to be aware of. And the first one, I think, is the most important one. It's that struggle, that conflict that we have within ourselves. Peter says, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. In other words, I know it's hard out there in that crazy world with all the crazy people, but you need to know that the, the worst and most important enemy that you have is living inside of you. 
I'll be honest with you, I, I have a bad habit of looking at the news and the craziness around me, and I get distracted, and I say, I see, oh man, it's an it's a evil world. There's wickedness out there. And it's so easy to get distracted by that, and sometimes I forget, and I ignore or I minimize the own sin, my own sin in my life. That sin is... Seeking destroy me from the inside out. I don't know about you. Uh, for me, it's not hard. Uh, there's no battle in my soul to not do drugs. Right? There's no battle in my soul to not commit murder. Uh, it's not difficult for me to not rob a bank. You know, all the stuff that you see on the news, right? Uh, but... When you read Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, 29 to 31, I don't know if it's... In Ephesians 4, 29 to 31, Paul says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away with you, along with all malice. Now, I, have, I have to confess, that's a whole different thing for me. See, I, I have a hard time. I'm sure this is not, none of you are like this. But I have a hard time when people don't do what I want them to do. When my vision for my day uh, comes up against somebody else's vision for their way they think the day ought to go, right? Let me, let me give you an example. There I was. R rainy, a rainy morning a couple weeks ago, and I'm driving to work. I'm li listening to one of my favorite Christian podcasts. I'm driving to work, and I've, you know, going slow because the roads here are like ice and the rain, you know, all those things they warn you about in the, in the briefs. And I'm leaving distance between me and the car in front of me. And as I'm driving, this other car comes up and it slides into the spot between me and the car in front of me as we're driving. Completely unnecessary. It's got a big Y on the license plate. <laughs> and it didn't need to happen because there was no cars behind me. Like, just cut me off for no reason. And I did the worst thing that you can possibly do as a driver in Okinawa. I honked. <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I confess it, brothers and sisters. My friend says this is the circle of trust. Like, don't let anybody know, but I did. And not only that, I didn't just honk, I got mad. So when we ran around the corner uh, and got to a place where there was another lane, I sped up and I zipped around. And as I went past, I looked at her <laughs> just to let her know, you know? You wronged me. <laughs> and now I'm ahead of you. Huh? Okay? 
Uh, and then just right then, and I am not making this up, exactly at that time, the podcast started talking about the mercy of God. <laughs> and now you might, not, you might be thinking, all right, it's no big deal. You didn't run her off the road. Um, you didn't, you know, it's a sin. Yeah, but it wasn't that big a deal, right? See, the problem is, is that God does not rank our sins according to some sort of arbitrary, yeah, it's really bad. No, it's not so bad. He doesn't do that. That's the way the world would think about sin, right? But if you take it to the, that extreme, if that's the way you look at it, then God condemned the world to hell for taking a bite of fruit. But he doesn't look at sin like that. God looks at the motive of the heart that comes before that sin. And those motives and those passions and those desires that say, I want things my way. I want to be on the throne of my life. And that's what wages war against our souls. The scary thing is, is that I think we're living in a time where we don't really spend much time thinking about what we're thinking about. We don't pay attention to the wars that are being waged in our hearts because we're so distracted by the stuff of modern life. The amusements and electronics and busyness. and We forget to pay attention to the conversations that go, in, go on inside of us. There was a great story uh, in the news uh, just in this last couple of weeks. There was a, a lady in Spain who uh, just broke a record. She spent uh, 500 days in a cave. Did you see that? It's an inch. I don't know why anybody would want to do that. But she decided to go for the record. She broke the record. She went into the cave. Uh, she had no contact with the outside world in terms of the internet or anything like that. She had her uh, basic necessities of life, some books, and, and really that was about it. And uh, she said, it was very interesting. She said, after the first two months kind of drug on, right? But after the first two months, it just, the time just flew. And what she appreciated the most was that she got to know herself again. Because she was the only one that she had to talk to. And she learned to listen to the conversations that she was having with herself. I would submit to you that we need to learn to do that better than we do. I'm not suggesting that we all go move into a cave for 100 days or 500 days or whatever. But I am saying that we need to make a regular daily practice of being in the Word, reflecting and thinking and praying about what it is that God is saying to us from his scriptures. Because it's in those quiet times of reading and thinking and reflecting and praying that we're fed on the pure spiritual milk that, uh, that Rick preached about back from verse 2 uh, of chapter 2 a couple of weeks ago. It's in those times that we are built up into the image of the beloved 
And that is really the only way that we can be effective as we want to abstain from the passions of the flesh. That's waging war on our souls. So that's the first struggle. But Peter moves on and says, not only do I urge you to pay attention to those inner battles that you have, you need to pay attention to the potential struggles that you might have with the people around you. Your neighbors who are in the world. It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. The Gentiles, uh, Rick mentioned uh, last week, uh, it's the same word uh, for the, the holy nation, right? It's just, it's just that, it's a people group. It's ethnos, that's the word, that, the Greek word. It's a nation or a people group with a common nature, the thing that makes them common. And look, there are, there are amazing variety of people that God has in his plan. Um, Different kinds of people, men and women, boys and girls from different cultures and races and languages. And it is just this beautiful, amazing tapestry, right? Uh, Before before the first service, um, we were downstairs praying and talking and and, uh, Rick showed me my my notes, right, have been printed out in Ukrainian and Chinese and Japanese and Spanish. Just from this church. That's amazing. And all of those things that make us different are, they're important and they are such value. But ultimately, there's only two kind of people. There's only the people that God has chosen to be part of his family who have placed their faith in Christ, who have died to self and been made spiritually alive. Paul will say it like this in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ. That's the one group. And on the other hand, there's everybody else. Right? Those are the people who are the Gentiles who we live among. And Peter encourages us to, encourages us to live a life before them that is observably honorable. There are, there are groups of people who are known for their behavior. One of, the, one of the things that I know that most of you, if all of you will agree with me, is uh, the beauty of living here in Okinawa, uh, in Japan, and just the fact that it's a culture that knows how to respect each other. The kind of people that don't honk at people for no reason, right? <laughs> Um, But there are other people who are known for not being quite so nice, right? Um, When we first came active duty years and years ago, our first duty station was in San Diego. And uh, at one point, I was given tickets to a a, a San Diego Chargers football game. Back then, the Chargers were known for being more interested in in surfing after the football game than they were uh, actually trying hard in the football game. It was just like nobody ever could figure out why they were even a team. But this game, 
the Oakland Raiders were coming to town. Any, any Raiders fans out there? Okay, so we got one Raiders fan. So everybody, take note. Take note, because if you're parked by the Raiders fan, your cars are probably, your tires are slashed, uh, your radio might be missing. Yeah, I'm singling you out, because uh, you know, Raiders fans have got a reputation for not being the night. I'm sure you're the one exception. But thank you for being brave enough to raise your hand. That's great. No, you like, you like, the, you like the Las Vegas uh, Raiders, which is completely different. Raiders fans have got this uh, reputation for, for not being the nicest people. So I want you to keep that in mind as we look at this next part of the scripture. Because he says, Peter says, keep your conduct excellent among the Gentiles so that when they speak of you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And he says a couple of things in, this, in this, these passages that make you go, wait, what? That doesn't quite make one. And this is one of them. I mean, shouldn't he be saying, keep your conduct honorable so that they won't speak of you as evildoers? I mean, that makes sense, right? Shouldn't Christians be known as the good guys? Why in the world does Peter assume that people who are behaving excellently and honorably will be labeled as evildoers? Uh, I'll be honest with you, if I had preached this sermon 20 or 30 years ago, I would have preached it differently. But the reality is, is that uh, our culture, particularly in the West, our culture has changed. It used to be the case that if you said people need to live according to the word of God, people need to live with a eye towards a biblical worldview that most people in the culture would probably say, yeah, that's, that's about right. The, the, the worst that they would say is, you're a little old-fashioned, right? Uh, but our culture has changed. We see more and more that the people outside of the church view people who hold a biblical worldview as being evil. We can have a whole sermon on just this topic, um, but there's no reason to go too far into it because I think you know what I mean. It's just the reality of where we live now. And it shouldn't surprise us because I mean, God said that from the beginning. You know, if you, if you turn, turn your back on the Creator, you're going to worship something else. And it's 180 degrees from who He is. And that's exactly the kind of the world that Peter's audience lived in as well. And it's to people like that, people like us, that Peter says, keep your way of life ex uh, excellent, so that when they speak of you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, this is the other thing that as I was reading through it, you, you, can, you can gloss over it if you're not paying attention, but if you pay attention, you have to go, What? Why in the world would people look at the way you and I behave, call us evil because of it, and then turn around and glorify God? 
Does that make sense? It doesn't. The, the key to that is this thing called the day of visitation, right? The, the word for this day of, of visitation, the root word is episkopos. It's where the, Episco, uh, the Episcopal Church gets its name. Uh, it means bishop or overseer, right? Uh, as a little bit of an aside, um, I, I have a friend, one of my mentors in the chaplain corps is a, is a, was a Catholic priest, and uh, he retired, and they made him a bishop in the archdiocese uh, of the military. And he's in town this week uh, visiting his people. That's what a bishop does. They come in and they inspect and they, they, uh, they make sure that people are taken care of. And uh, I was supposed to have lunch with him yesterday at noon. And I woke up and I started looking at my sermon and going over my notes and reviewing and reviewing. And then my lovely wife called me and she said, hey, how did lunch go? And it was 2.30. And I completely blew the bishop off. I feel terrible. Thankfully, he is a very forgiving individual. But that's what a bishop does. A bishop comes in and they kind of inspect. So for the military people in, in the, the crowd, I'll give you something that maybe will get a gut reaction out of you for this. So let's say you go home from, from church, you have lunch, you take a nap like we're all going to do. Uh, you, you wake up, you feel refreshed, you start thinking about next week and how great it's going to be. And then, um, th then the phone rings and it's the executive officer or it's the chief of staff. And they say, Hey, I just got an email and I want you to know that the inspector general is going to be on deck tomorrow morning and they're going to inspect your program. How much sleep are you going to get? <laughs> Not a lot. But that's what the day of visitation is going to be like times a million. The standard, though, that the inspector is going to hold us to is absolute. And no one, apart from the inspector himself, has ever kept the standard absolutely. But the good news is for us is that the inspector has another title. It's the beloved. And because we have been placed in him, we are beloved as well. And so what Peter is doing is he is urging us and his readers to live every day in a way so that when Christ returns and he is before the nations and they look at him in his glory and then they think back on the way that you and I lived before them and they compare the two, they say, Yes, the way that they lived looks like that. They pointed me to him in their words and in their speech. And too late, I missed it. I would ask us to pause and reflect. 
Are we living a life? Am I, am I living a life? That when people look at it, they say, yes, that is Christ to a T. Thank God for his mercy. Well, there's a logical flow in Peter's thought. So when we succeed in this battle that we have with ourselves, uh, we're going to stand out in front of the people around us. The world that looks at, at uh, they have a different worldview because they're not like us, right? Uh, when we win those battles, it's going to cause friction with the people around us because they're going to be convicted. The Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin. And then they're going to look at us and they're going to decide those people are evil, right? We've covered this. And eventually, when enough people start saying those people are evil, the authorities get involved. And that's why Peter then goes on in verses 13 and 14 to say, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. And that sounds pretty good, right? I mean, that's ideally what we want authorities to do. But you have to ask yourself, who is it that is defining good and evil in this passage right here? Is it not the people whose natures are 180 degrees out from our own? You have to remember, think back to Peter and Paul in the book of Acts. What was going on? They were always getting dragged before the authorities, beaten, put into prison, and, uh, and eventually what tradition tells us is that both Peter and Paul are killed, they're murdered by the emperor that they're referring to here, Nero. He was the emperor at the time. And it's to people like that, to authorities like that, that Peter says, subject yourself to them. It's another one where you just scratch your head and go, what? But we don't have an option. This is not a, hey, why don't you think about it? It's thou shalt, right? Subject yourself to these authorities. And the reason is, is because it's for the Lord's sake. When you read anywhere in the New Testament, pretty much uh, almost across the board, anything being for the Lord's sake or for Jesus' sake or something like that, it's almost always in the context of suffering. Mark uh, 8.35, Jesus himself said, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. Later on in Mark chapter 13, verse 13, he says, You will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. In, in Philippians 1.29, Paul says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. 
I don't know about you, but I read that last one and I say, it's been granted to me to suffer. Like it's a gift. And look, the, we're never told that suffering for the sake of suffering is something that we should aspire to. But being called to the witness stand in the courtroom of history and being offered the opportunity to publicly say that the gift of salvation and unity with Christ is worth giving up everything that this life has to offer, that opportunity is a gift. And it is exactly what Paul meant in Philippians, and it's what Peter is referring to in verse 15 when he says, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, not good as the world defines it, but by living the kind of life that is according to God's standards, by patiently bearing up under unjust and undeserved suffering, by living a life where our words and our deeds reflect Christ, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. You know what the most foolish thing in the world is? It's living life as if you were God. Pretending that I am able to determine what right is wrong and wrong is. Pretending that I am able to control the events of the things that are going around, on around me. Uh, we can't control those things. Only God can control th those things. And it's foolishness to think otherwise. Well, Peter sums it all up in the next two verses. He says, live, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants to God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Rick has highlighted this very well for us in the last several weeks. The book of 1 Peter is an amazingly practical level uh, book. And it gets down to some challenging and hard truths about how we live life in a fallen world. For those of us who claim the name of Christ, whose natures have been changed, forever marking us as separate and distinct from the world, life is going to still have its battles. We're going to have our struggles, our conflicts with our own sin natures. We're going to have struggles and conflict with the people around us, whether it be our neighbors uh, or the authorities. And just like for Peter's original audience, you know, it's natural that those things are going to cause us some discomfort, some dis, dis ease, maybe even some fear from time to time. But do not be shaken. Even if you find yourself losing some of those battles. Because the battle ultimately has already been won. It has been won by Christ who is seated in heaven. And we are in him. 
I was listening to another podcast, and I would highly recommend this one. It's called Knowing Faith. Uh, look it up later on. Uh, really good podcast. But this past week, they mentioned uh, this thing. It was, just, it, it was powerful to me. It, 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 the only way that your faith, the foundation of your faith could truly be shaken is if somebody was able to reach up into heaven and pull Christ off of the throne. Think about that. Because he is our foundation. He is our anchor behind the veil. And that is impossible. And therefore, because we are already in him, in a very real sense, we have already been seated with him in heaven. Because of that, we are free. Free to live life in the way that God created us to live. In joyful obedience to his will. Enjoying all that he has given us as his beloved children, both for time and for eternity. I was reading uh, this past week in the book of Colossians chapter 3. And so I'm going to close out today. I'm going to ask you to stand as we always do when we read. I'm going to read, it's uh, 15 verses, so it's a bit. But I think it is a great synopsis of all of this, and it is a wonderful benediction for us as we go out this week. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now... You must put them all away along with anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, Barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Amen.